Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to come together and hear from you. From your word, which your son says sanctifies us. And we need that today, Father. We need our assumptions challenged. We need our opinions measured up against your word. We need our biases laid down at the foot of the cross. And I pray that happens here right now. By your grace, Father, may we truly live by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our hope. He is our Redeemer. He is our Deliverer. He is our righteousness. Jesus is our advocate before the Father. He is our judge and He is our King. And He is the only answer to a week like the one that's just gone by. Beloved, I had every intention of getting back into Luke 15 today. But as your pastor, I once again feel compelled to speak about what's going on in our country. We need to bring the Word of God to bear on the events of the past several days, and we need to bring the Word of God to bear on our lives and how we respond to them. It has been a bad couple of weeks in America. Last week it was war on the unborn. It was war on religious liberty. And in the past few days we've witnessed what can only be charitably described as an escalation in the racial tensions in our country. Two African Americans have died from shots fired by white police officers. Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Philando Castile in St. Paul, Minnesota. And both incidents were recorded. Both incidents raised many questions that remain unanswered. And that doesn't work with us. We are an impatient and reactionary people. So there have been protests, and as everyone knows by now, 12 Dallas police officers were shot, and five of them died on Thursday night. And we are left asking the question, why? Why did this happen? Why do things like this keep happening? I didn't live through the civil rights era. Many of you did. I do have parents and grandparents who did. I am a student of American history. I am beginning to think that 2016 is feeling a lot like 1968 must have felt. Racial tension is higher than at any point in my lifetime. And we were supposed to be making progress. And I suppose you could say there has been progress, but it really does feel like over the past few years, much of that seems to be deteriorating. We do seem at least in my opinion, to be regressing. And we look for who to blame. Do we blame the first African-American president in whom so many hoped that, that, that maybe through his leadership the racial fissures that uh, remained would be repaired? Well, we could, but that does no good. We could blame the entitlement culture. We could blame the drug problem. We could blame history. 
There's plenty of blame to go around. But fundamentally, beloved, the, the racial problems in our nation, the blame for them lies with each human heart. Each human heart bent on sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when you attempt to fix heart problems, apart from the only one who gives new hearts, ultimately you will always fall short. And that's what we are seeing in America this week. At their core, attempts to fix race problems will always be flawed. And they will inevitably fail if those race problems are defined as attempts to reconcile black with white, white with brown, brown with black. Because whether your ancestry is North American, European, Latin and South American, Asian, African, or some mixture of those, the bottom line is that biblically speaking, there is only one race, and that race is the human race. We are losing sight of the most important thing about all of this when we choose to define one another or define groups by the amount of melanin in their skin. This is what the Bible says. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, and this is, so this is the word of God here, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And did you notice what I didn't say? Did you notice what God did not say? There's no mention of the shade of the man and the woman's skin when God created them. Our Sunday school pictures that depict Adam and Eve as a lily white may indeed be polite lies, beloved. All the Bible tells us is that man, all men, all women were created in the image of God. And I know there are differences. Many of those differences can be explained by a study of what our children will be learning this week in Vacation Bible School about the flood and what happened after the flood with Genesis 10 and the Table of Nations and Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel and the dispersion of the peoples. There are differences that begin to take place in people groups. But what does Paul say about that? What does Paul say about that in Acts 17, 24 through 27? He says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives all people life and breath and all things. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the earth having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. God gives all people life and breath and all things. All people. He made from one man every nation. And the Greek word that is used there is the word for nation. It's ethnos. 
We get ethnic, ethnicity from that word. From one man, God made every ethnicity, every type of person, every skin color. From one man. And later, in speaking about Christians in particular, Paul writes in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one. In Christ Jesus, and he could have just as well have added black and white, all one in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? Do you grasp the ramifications of biblical truth upon how we think about race, how we think about skin color? It means that when we think of people as white and black and Hispanic and Asian and whatever, we are unnecessarily, and to our detriment and to their detriment, adding on to what God has said. When we define people by the shade of their skin, whether we mean to or not, we are building walls. We are not tearing them down. We are erecting obstacles to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message that every man and every woman, every person made in the image of God needs to hear and believe and faithfully respond to. In the throes of the Cold War, President John F. Kennedy linked the people of America to a people that were very much unlike the people of America those in the Soviet Union. And he said, our most basic common link is that we all inhabit this planet. We all breathe the same air. We all cherish our children's future. And we are all mortal. Well, we have something much more important in common too. American or Soviet, black or white. I read from Acts 17 just a moment ago, God made... From one man, every nation. Well, a couple of verses after that, Paul says, God is now declaring that all people everywhere should repent. All people everywhere have the same Creator. All people everywhere have the same problem, which is sin. All people everywhere have only one who can save them. And so, for all people everywhere, there is only one right response, and that is to repent of your sins and entrust yourself to Jesus Christ and follow Him. But a sinful humanity builds walls, builds barriers based on color. The shade of one's skin is far too often a stumbling block to true fellowship, even among those who profess faith in the same Lord Jesus Christ. I wouldn't have agreed with all of Martin Luther King Jr.'s theology, but he was absolutely right when he said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Beloved, I cannot agree with that more. That is appalling. That there is such a a thing as a white church and a black church and a Hispanic church. This is a great condemnation upon the American church. I believe it speaks more to our superficiality than it does our faithfulness. More to our pride than to our love. 
in Revelation 5, the song of heaven will be to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. So beloved, today if you are content with the segregation of the body of Christ, are you really ready today for its desegregation in the new heaven and the new earth? If a black man or a black woman or a black family had walked through our doors this morning and your response would have been anything beyond, that's different, praise the Lord, then beloved, that's a you problem. That's you not comprehending the ramifications of what Jesus Christ has done for you and how it relates to how you look at everybody else. Jesus has purchased for the Father men of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. If a black man were to walk in here and sit down and you would think anything close to you don't belong here, there's a black church down the street, well, neither do you belong here, beloved. Do you realize that? I don't belong here either. Thank God He saved me from my sins. Thank God He saved you from your sins because that's grace. If indeed you have repented of your sins and entrusted yourself to Jesus. Beloved, I pray often that God might bring some color into this church. That God might show us the grace of making Bethlehem a true preview of the new heaven and new earth. With all kinds of different people. With all kinds of different looking people. I pray for that often. And you should too. And if that offends you, then with all humility, but with all forthrightness, I say to you, I implore you, seek the face of God right now in repentance and take that up with the king who makes the purchase. Brothers and sisters, if you are willing to accept a white man as a friend and brother in Christ one millisecond before you're willing to accept a black man as a friend and brother in Christ, that is a you problem. That's a product of sinful nature and Christ has died to redeem us from that. So then, after we search our own hearts, after we make sure we have a right biblical perspective about race in the first place. After we make sure we agree with what God has said about it. After we understand that red and yellow, black and white, God has decreed that all kinds of people to be precious in His sight. We've all been made in the image of God. He is saving some of all of us. After all of that, how do we live How do we then respond to what we see going on in the world around us? My heart grieves what I see happening. Things have gotten worse, not better. I really do dread that we may be in the beginning stages of a race war that will get worse and not better and bring out the worst in all kinds of people, making the 60s look tame by comparison. And again, the easy thing to do is to blame others. It's the president's fault. It's the government's fault. 
it's their fault, it's his fault, it's her fault, and so on. But we have to stop with the groupthink. We have to stop with the groupthink. We need to burn the political talking points. There is plenty of blame to go around, and we need to stop looking for new targets. Instead, as individual believers, as a church, we need to look in the mirror. We are puffed up if we don't measure our hearts against the Word of God, our own thoughts, our own words, our own conduct against that of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have got to lay our biases at the cross. We must come to the conclusion that the need to justify our personal perspectives has not helped matters. It has hurt things. And as light-skinned Christians, we are either naive or in denial or sinfully obstinate if we don't recognize that there can be and there has been at times an inequitable and prejudicial carrying out of law enforcement in our country. If we fail to listen to what people who don't look like us have to say, we are overlooking the hopelessness of whole communities of people. People Jesus has commanded us to go to with the only message that saves. We cannot, beloved, as we cannot call ourselves Christians and at the same time shut our ears to the cries of those hurt the most in the race wars in our country. Wars that run hot and cold. There's hot war going on right now in Baton Rouge and St. Paul and Dallas and other places. There's the cold race war, though, of prejudice, and it's much more subversive. The cold war of prejudice and racism, spoken and unspoken in our living rooms, at our dinner tables, with the jokes we tell, in our church halls. We are in sin when we shut our ears to the cries. And we are simply disobeying our Lord if we can't weep with those who weep. If we won't weep with those who weep. That said, I do want to make this abundantly clear. We must thank God And we must constantly be in prayer for and support those men and women who every day suit up. Every day they put on the uniform. Every day they put the badge on. Every day they run to the battle. They go to the dangerous places. When trouble comes, they go to where it is and they do their best to stop it. God bless our law enforcement officers. 99% of them, 99.9% of them are trying to do the right thing, even when they're hated for it. Then there's 0.1% who don't. And sometimes it's just people who make human mistakes, and they're wearing badges when they make those mistakes. And because we're already inclined to sin, that is like lighter fluid on charcoal already burning. And that's the abiding racial tension in this country. The reality is, and I believe this is true for black and white, we have allowed and we continue to allow to our detriment a small percentage of people to inform our entire perspective. A good friend of mine wrote the other day, change needs to happen, beloved, but it won't happen until we learn how to fight for one another instead of with one another.
And you could apply that to a lot more than race. But we've got to remember that we are all one race. Black, white, brown. Just colors. Just shades of skin. Melanin counts. It is a product of sin that the word racism even exists. Shouldn't exist at all. If the Bible was true, and the Bible is true, we are all descendants of Adam. For that matter, we are all descendants of Noah. We are all descendants of either one of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We are all biologically related. When, when we sin against others, we are always sinning in a way against family. My brother Greg Lamb preached here in my absence a few weeks ago, and he wrote a couple days ago, how beautiful it would be if we all realized this profound biblical truth and saw each other as family instead of enemies. As Christians, beloved, we must be concerned with justice for all. For all. Amos 5.24 says, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And justice, beloved, must be colorblind. It must be colorblind. Not unwise, not ignorant, but colorblind. Justice is justice, otherwise it's injustice. And as Christians, we must be consumed with the truth. We must the, the truth is what we're all about. We're sanctified by the truth. Jesus is the truth. Truth has to be paramount to the people of God, and so we must be concerned with true justice for all. And that justice is ultimately defined not by what the news people say or what the government says or what you or what I say, but what God says. And what does God say? What does Micah 6, 8 say? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. True justice then is inextricably linked to humility, to godliness, to the character of God Himself. I'm not the judge, and I won't be the judge, and I'm not trying to adjudicate, and I sure don't have all the answers when it comes to the deaths of Alton Sterling or Philando Castile. But seeing the video footage of their deaths, you don't have to wonder why some are crying out today for justice and screaming that injustice has been done. As more facts come out, we'll no doubt learn more. Part of the problem in our world is undoubtedly that we are, like I've already said, we are reactionary. That people respond without all the facts. That people only see one side of things before forming their entire opinions. And basically we sin faster. Cell phone cameras, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they, they don't help with that. They hurt. They, they can be very bad in that respect. We, we've got to be, beloved, in the words of James 1, slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. And only then will we be able to see clearly enough to want true justice, real justice. 
And by the way, supporting police officers and wanting justice for those two dead men is not incompatible. They are inextricably linked. So we've got to pursue justice. Also though, as Christians we must know this, retaliation is always wrong. It's always wrong. When you are wronged, then you decide to gear up for war. That is wrong. That is sinful. It's the place of God to judge. He has ordained governmental authorities to bear the sword. It's not for us. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He's the ultimate judge. So in wanting justice for dead men, it's wrong of those who choose to retaliate. It's utterly evil. It is sinful to the core. And that, by the way, also applies to more than just race. As Christians also, we must resist the temptation. And this one's hard in our Soundbite society, we must resist the temptation to demonize the, quote, other side. In fact, we need to stop looking at the other side as the other side. We're all one race. Again, quick to listen, slow to speak. We've got to recognize, beloved, that not everyone who says black lives matter also says white people are evil. Police officers should die. There are plenty who do. The, the media makes, uh, is quick to point them out. And we should know that they are out there. And they should be called to repent and be prosecuted when they commit a crime. But we're wrong to paint with a broad brush. Proverbs fourteen sixteen says, A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. We've got to remember that not everyone is joining a protest. Most people aren't vandalizing. Most people aren't committing or condoning violence. And we become fools when we lump everyone together. That said, as we listen to others, and I mean really listen, what we're going to find is that many people who don't have the same backgrounds as we do have a much different take on the world we all live in. So we've got to remember that while we might all be Americans and while we all might believe that God created all men equal, we haven't always treated one another equally. In fact, we still don't. Our country has a pretty terrible history when it comes to people with darker skin than we have. There are still people out there today who feel lighter skin makes them superior Men justified slavery by making that argument and there are still some out there who make that argument publicly and there are many more who believe that privately to their shame. Until the 1860s there was still slavery including right here among us. Bethlehem Baptist Church used to have slaves as members. I wonder what happened to them. I wonder why they and their progeny aren't here with us this morning. We do not understand what it's like, beloved, to live under constant suspicion.
A pastor friend of mine related a story. We lived really close, about a mile apart when we lived in Ohio. We both live in different states now. I'm here, obviously. But our churches, while we were so close in proximity, our churches couldn't have been more different. Um, mine was an established church. I was, I was the guy who came in after the, the first and only pastor of that church retired. He had been there for 53 years. And the church was, was, was all white people. All people who look like us today. He, on the other hand, was involved in this church plant. There were all kinds of people involved in this thing. All colors, many different backgrounds, a lot of people with checkered past. A lot of people struggling with a lot of serious issues. And they all needed Jesus just like we do. Well, he was driving. He he had a Super Bowl party at his house. And he was driving... Six kids home after the Super Bowl, and they were all black teenagers. And they got pulled over. Ostensibly for a rolling stop at a stop sign on a country road, but really it was because there were six black teenagers in the car. And he was taking them to the housing projects where they all lived in Dayton. And the the officer... Pulled them over. He asked for identification for them all. Not just the driver, not just my pastor friend. And then finally they were allowed to move on. And one of the young men said to my friend, Now you know what we deal with every day. The bottom line is, beloved, we live in the same world, but it's a different world for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ and for many of those who aren't our brothers and sisters in Christ. But prejudice and racism are these giant walls that are proving to be an obstacle to the cross. I mourn the deaths of those two African-American men. I don't know all the facts of the case. I don't pretend to know. I don't condemn those officers without cause. I just I do I know it looks bad on video, but we don't have all the facts. And I grieve the deaths of those five Dallas police officers and I with great sadness pray for those seven more who were injured, shot and injured. We we don't know what the real body count is yet. But what I do know is that as Christians, we must be the first to confront our own bias. We must be less concerned about our heritage, less concerned about traditions, less concerned with how we were raised. And I've heard plenty of prejudice among people I love throughout my life. We must be less concerned about all those things. And let me add one more thing. We must be less concerned about waving a certain flag that offends many of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we must be less concerned with maintaining our way of life than we are concerned for the souls of all men, of all colors, of all types. 
Every one of us must be a disciple of Jesus Christ and He must always come first. He is greater than our heritage. He is greater than our tradition. He is greater than our families. He is greater than our friends. He is greater than whatever wealth we might possess. He is greater than everything. He is greater. And we must follow Him. Jesus looks past the shade of someone's skin. Every one of us as a disciple of Christ must look past the shade of one's skin to see the condition of one's heart. And we have to meet people at that level. But it can't happen until we're willing to confront our own bias. As those who have been made alive by God, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, we ought to, in as much as we are able, be the reconcilers. Just as Christ reconciled us to God, in as much as we don't compromise the gospel, we don't compromise biblical truth, we don't compromise our integrity, we don't compromise the lordship of Christ upon our lives, we ought to do all we can to try to tear down walls and instead build bridges between us and those who have more melanin in their skin or less melanin in their skin. Those, any type of... We ought to build bridges... And as Christians, it's not for us to wait for someone to build a bridge toward us. We've been called to go. We have been called to go. We must be the ones who see that the real battle is not between black and white. It's between light and darkness. It's between good and evil. It's between sin and righteousness. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we must understand what we see, what we face, is the product of sin. And for that, the gospel is the only hope. That God sent His Son into the world. And he was perfectly righteous. And yet he died a sacrificial death for all sin, for all time, for all who will ever believe. And he was raised on the third day that all who have ever placed their faith in him, all, all who trust in him will be with him forever in glory. We ought to pray that all kinds of people get saved. We ought to take the gospel to all kinds of people that they might be saved. We have to love people. And we don't get to choose to not love some. Even when they hurt you. Even when they persecute you. Even when they say bad things about you. Even when they're trying to tear you down. Even when they're on the attack against you. We don't get to choose not to love anybody. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have to love And that love comes from the love of God. And if you can't or won't love others, the love of God is not in you. And that's not me talking. That's 1 John. That's the Word of God. Living under the Lordship of Christ means as much as it depends upon us, we must pursue peace with all men. And as even the creation groans, we must groan for that day when the King of Righteousness, the Prince of Peace, will return and make all things new. And I'll just close with something my friend in that van said. 
And it's not profound, it's just right. The solution is not now, nor will it ever be political. The solution is spiritual. The solution is the Holy Spirit softening hearts and changing minds to the glory of God. To which I say, here I am, Lord. Start with me. Start with us, Father. Let's pray. Father, when we have not looked at others and thought of others made in your image like us, when we haven't thought about them and looked at them with the dignity due one made in your image, we ask your forgiveness. Because of sin, we all have biases. We all come with baggage, but Father, help us to learn that Jesus has died to free us from sin, to free us from the effects of sin, to free us from that baggage. Help us to learn that not all we grew up with learning was right. Help us to break the chains of prejudice we may have inherited. Help us to be the generation where the prejudice stops, the racism, rather implicit or explicit, stops. Help us to learn to process every thought, every word, every action through Your Word, through the lens of Scripture, through what You have said about the matter. We do pray for healing in our world, in our country, in Dallas, Baton Rouge, St. Paul, Healing that can only come through you. We pray for healing here in Moore County, in Carthage, where some streets are all white and some streets are all black. Where some churches are all white and some churches are all black. And we don't pretend, Father, that the problems going back centuries, millennia, can or will be done overnight. But we pray you might work in us. Work in us, Father, that we might be submissive to Your will. That You might use us to be part of Your solution. To accomplish Your will through Your gospel for Your glory. This world, Father, has gone mad. We praise You because You're still on the throne. May we recognize you as the king you are. And unlike ancient Israel, may we not seek to be anything but your loyal subjects. We ask this in the name of he who died and rose and is coming again. That all who trust in him from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation might worship him. Jesus Christ, we pray in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.